So, Lord, I thank you. Thank you, Lord, for this church. Lord, we thank you that you have gathered us together. And we just pray, Lord, just feel pricked by the Holy Spirit to pray one more time. Just pray for our brothers and sisters all across this valley, whether they call this particular house their own or another house. Lord, we just pray for this valley. We just pray for our brothers and sisters, Lord. Pray for every burden to be removed in Jesus' name, for every weight, for every lie that has come and tricked our brothers and sisters, Lord, into a trap, Lord, and into places they shouldn't be or don't need to be. Lord, I thank you in Jesus' name for removal of the blinders. And Lord, we just call, Lord, we call into this valley of dry bones. Lord, we speak into this valley of dry bones to come back to life. Thank you, Lord. You have shown us, Lord, that our time is short. And Lord, we speak into this valley. In Jesus' name, come back to life. We command you, dry bones, to stand up, to rise up, come back to life in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We just thank you, Lord. Well, it's a good day to be in his house. It really is. I love this place and I love you people. <laughs> just want to continue preaching on this series that God has given us for these weeks. And I promised you week three, week three, week three, I wanted to get somewhere. Everybody say week four. <laughs> I'm going to say some things and we'll just see where the Lord... I, I wanted to continue with some thoughts that I didn't finish last week. And we'll just see how far we get. And I will continue next week with some, some finality, I believe. We'll let the Holy Spirit do what He's going to do. Don't you love that the Holy Spirit has flexibility with people, with us, right? You want ministers with some flexibility. <laughs> Men and women of God that are flexible with the Holy Spirit. I said, okay, Holy Spirit, yes. So I've just been preaching on the setup. Everybody say out loud, God, set me up. And that's a good thing. We don't like the setup during, but who has started to see in your life that God's setup in your life is a good thing, right? Who has seen, actually, who's been in a setup before? <laughs> who's come through a setup <laughs> where it didn't seem like God, but God was in it? God was working through it, and in fact, it was maybe even the worst times of your life, the most oppression, the, the worst rejection, the lowest times of your life, and yet God used it to set you up. And many people, even here, and, and those listening out there, out listening on the web, many of you feel like failures, that you've lost time, that you've lost your youth, you've lost your strength, but God is reigniting us again. God is reigniting, and God is touching this valley. God is touching us again. He, if you are listening, he's touching your heart again, saying, come on, get back up again. I'm going to do something, and that's actually a great place to be. Believe it or not, the place where we feel uh, the furthest from God, but yet we've been faithful, is the moment where God's just about to do something. Let me say that again. The moment where you feel furthest from him, but, you, but you've been faithful all the way through, he's just about to do something. <laughs> You're not far from him. You just had to go real 
low. Everybody say low, low, low. <laughs> low, low, low. You got to go low. And that's just how it works. You want to go higher, you have to go lower. I want you to turn to your neighbor. I want you to say, you're not low enough. (laughs) God's going to keep bringing us lower. That's a good thing. You go lower, God brings you higher. Come on, you go lower, God brings you higher. You don't want to exalt yourself. I'm thinking of 50 verses at once. Remember what Jesus said, though. I'll just share one. You don't want to go and take the best seat. You want somebody, right? You want the king to come and get you. You want Jesus to come and get you and place you in the seat that he's got prepared for you. Don't go and try to take a seat before your time. It may not even be your seat. (laughs) We think we know who we're going to be and what we're supposed to do and how it's all going to work out, and we have no idea. But we know that God is faithful. We set our eyes on him. We know that he knows. And we know that if we just look to him, he will place us in places we could never, ever place ourselves. And we've been teaching this setup from the book of Genesis. We've been looking at the story of Joseph. And we see that God put a dream in his heart, just as God puts a dream in our hearts. God has put a dream in each of your hearts. And this is the moment where you're excited to serve God. Come on, you are excited. We're excited to serve God. God pricks your heart. He touches your heart. And there's an excitement to serve God and an excitement to fulfill what God has put in your heart. And then God develops you. Come on, everybody say out loud, God's been developing me. He develops you to be mature enough. Everybody say mature. He develops you to be mature enough to handle the dream he placed in your heart. So he gives you the dream, but then he's got to mature you so that you're able to handle it. Who knows that a child is not able to handle a car? They may think they can. Who took your parents' car out on a joyride before you got a license? (laughs) Some did. Many did. God's working on us. He's maturing us in this season. There's many maturing seasons. God does it over and over again, actually. Just like school. We love the summer. And you go back to school, right? God gives us breaks, gives us times of refreshing, gives us mountaintops. Then we go back down into the valleys and we work again for another level. God is going to keep doing that in your life all the way till the end. He wants to keep maturing you. When you stop maturing, it's time to die. That's that way it works. That's everything in creation. That's humanity. You mature until death. When we stop maturing, it's time to go home. There's no reason for us to be alive anymore. Our mature, uh, we've finished this time, and now it's time for eternity with Him. God is going to do the same thing with us spiritually. He matures and matures and matures and matures and matures right till the very end. And this is a maturing season. And what's happening is, is during the maturing times, the devil tries to highlight your setbacks. But it's not a setback, is it? It was a setup. God is actually what looks like a setback. God is setting up your backstory. 
That's what he's doing. And then finally, God takes you out of training and he places you in the dream he put in your heart. It's a long time from the time that God speaks and puts something in your life and shows you what he's called you to do until the time he places you there. And many of us try to get ahead of God. Who's gotten ahead of God before? It's not a good place to be. God's faithful, isn't he? God's got grace and mercy and love for you. In fact, this is a rabbit trail that I'll, end, I'll say in 30 seconds. We need to not confuse God's grace and his love. They're actually two separate things. They work hand in hand. But today, the church is trying to intertwine grace and love. And let me explain. Grace is is God's, God giving you the ability to do what he's called you to do. He gives you time, he lets you grow, he lets you mature, and he's giving you the ability to do that. But his love is with or without the grace in your life. God loves you whether you walk in his grace or not. He loves all of creation. Now, sometimes people just say, and they just try to take grace and go, oh, well, he loves me, so his grace is for me. You may not be in his grace. Grace is a choice. It's, it's freely given, but you chose to receive it. <laughs> it's freely given, but you still chose it. Jesus is offering himself freely to the entire world, and yet many haven't chosen him. His grace is just sitting there waiting, but his love is with or without your acceptance. I just felt that rabbit trail needed to be spoken. It's been in my heart for a couple weeks. Saw some things and I heard some things out there in the Christian world and I needed to state that. Is that okay? But God loves you. He loved you when you didn't follow him and he loves you now that you're following him. And he loves you and his grace is with you. And he is not surprised and he is uh, faithful to us when we've gotten ahead of him, when we, when we got out of whack, when we, when we got off, when we were in the wrong places with the wrong people in the wrong time. God's faithful to us. But what God's doing right now is trying to get us to the place where we will sit and rest in him and let him mature us. We do not want to go and do the thing that we can feel it in our hearts, we can feel what God has put in our hearts, things that he's doing in your heart, but don't try to make it happen. Let God make it happen. Does that make sense for anybody today? Is that for anybody here? So God has given us the dream, he's working on the dream, and then he fulfills it. And I just wanted to continue for a few more minutes. I wanted to talk about God rescuing us out of it, taking you out of the pit. Everybody's looking forward to that week. But we're still in it. Come on, we're still in it. God still got us in it. We know the story. Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery, right? We looked at last week. It's Genesis chapter 39. If you wanted to go home and read this this week and those listening. Genesis 39. In fact, 11 years of his life is in one chapter. And I said last week, when we're reading the Bible, we need to get the context. We need to truly understand what's happening here. Sometimes we, we read it, and you can flip a chapter so fast, and you realize that was 11 years. Everybody say 11 years. 
Chapter 40 says two more years. <laughs> right at the first verse. Two more years. It was 13 years total before he was released. But 11 years, he had to learn something. He learned that God is in control and that God puts something in your heart, but you are a baby. Do we look at babies and yell at them for being babies? Or do we love the fact that they're babies? God is not surprised that you are a baby when you come to Christ. And, or wherever stage you're at in Him, He is not surprised and God loves every stage of it. But I was just meditating on this, that uh, we have a nine-year-old, that's our youngest, that if he's not so great at doing the laundry, I'm going to give him some grace because he's nine years old. When he's 29 and he's still living at home <laughs> and he says, Mom, do my laundry, then we've got a problem. God is not looking at us. I just wanted to really be clear about maturity that maturity is not, God does not judge your lack of maturity. I just, the Lord started just showing me this. He doesn't judge your lack of maturity. But if you get to the place where you should have been matured <laughs> and you haven't, then God's going to come, right? The grades come at the end of the year, right? We have a season, then they come at a quarter, and then finally, the final grade comes at the end of the year. You had some time to mature. We are in a season where he's maturing in this church. This is very specific. Those listening, the Lord can do what he's going to do in your hearts, listening. But this is for this church. The Lord is maturing. Don't try to get ahead. Don't try to become superhuman, super mature. And the Lord just started showing me that maturity is not knowledge. Knowledge, the Bible says, puffs up. You can read the Bible and know the Bible backwards, forwards, frontwards. You can understand the Greek, the Hebrew, the in-betweens and all of that. And all of that technically is still just knowledge. Now that's an amazing foundation for a mature Christian. It doesn't mean that you don't need those things. I love studying and I love getting into why he said what he said and what the words mean. But all of that is just knowledge. But maturity is how we apply what we know. And I was just, I've been working with my father. He's helping me. Recently, I don't have a guy helping me. And my dad said, I'll work. He's retired. And we were just talking about how the older you get, the quieter you get. It's not just personalities, it's a quiet personality, but you get quieter, you start saying less, responding less, reacting less. There's still baby 65-year-olds, right? Baby 85-year-olds, unfortunately. But if you've let the maturity happen as it should in you, you start to learn, this moment is not that important. <laughs> I don't need to respond to this. I don't need to react. And the Lord just started showing me that maturity is our reaction to the situation you're in, not what you know while you're in it. And the devil could try to trick you. How isn't the devil crafty 
that he could try to trick his church in getting all this knowledge. I mean, we have, in this day, we have more knowledge. And the Bible prophesied that it would come, that knowledge would run to and fro, right? That's what the Bible says in our time. We have an unlimited resource. We can Google anything about anything, right? And that includes God's word, includes the history. We're finding, we're still digging books up and they're putting them on the internet for the, the history and the time and the people that lived and all of that is amazing. I'm not saying that I don't love that. But all of that, that's just knowledge. And there's just books upon books upon books upon books and you can know all this, but real maturity is not you in school. It's the school of hard knocks. You can learn it, that's fine. Who went to college in here? Who, took, who got your first job and realized, wow, college, all of my classes, like I gotta, that was great, good foundation to teach me like, okay, this is how you apply yourself, this is diligence, but you realize that actually what you really need to learn that specific job. That the, the, the college actually taught you more about your character than the actual thing that you're in your job for. And I believe that's what God's doing, and that's what Joseph was going through for 11 years. He wasn't being punished. God was not putting pressure on him to hurt him, but actually preparing him. Say, God is preparing me. God is preparing me. By pressure. <laughs> God applied pressure. Who doesn't apply themselves when you don't have pressure? Everybody. <laughs> that wasn't a trick question. Nobody does. Everybody has a different level of pressure, whether your pressure is, I need to get this done in the day, or I'll wait till the 30th day. And one way, that, you know, you're all reacting to a pressure that there's a job to do, and I need to get it done. And so God uses the pressure. He's put us in places that don't look or feel like God was in control. And it's the very place where we feel abandoned and betrayed. We start asking questions of how did I get here? Why, Lord? When, Lord? What did I do wrong? Where is this going? Who did this to me? Or who did I wrong to deserve this? We start asking all these questions and wondering, the Bible doesn't say that Joseph asked any questions. He doesn't, we don't see him arguing with God. We don't, but you can only, you have to imagine that internally he's dealing with these thoughts for these 11 years. And this is the moment where we need to stay faithful. We need to stay true because it will affect our tomorrow. God has put a dream in each of you. He's put a plan and a purpose in each and every person. doesn't matter how old you are, how, old, how young you are, God can still fulfill it. God can still do it. It doesn't matter if the world has said you've been passed by, it's been finished. You have no idea what God can do in you and through you. Come on, you need to hear that again. You have no idea what God can do in you and through you. It's never too late. But God is teaching us. We're babies, but we have to be disciplined. Discipline is not, and maturity is not because 
there was something wrong with us, but it's the natural course of life. It's the natural course of a Christian is maturity. In the book of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, it says, And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? Everybody say, I'm his child. Have you forgotten the encouraging? Everybody say, the encouraging words. (laughs) They're not going to sound very encouraging, but I believe God. Have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the, child, for the Lord disciplines those he loves The Lord disciplines those he loves because discipline is not a punishment. When we discipline, it's because I want you to be better. It can look like you're punishing me for what I did wrong, but really what the parent and God, the the best parent, the best father is doing is telling you that this thing in your life, long term, will prohibit you from being mature. This thing will end up hurting you and people around you. So I discipline you so that you learn to get that thing out of your life, to not let that thing rule in your life. He loves us and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. Remember, and Hebrews did this on purpose, Verse 5 says, have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? So encouraging, isn't it? The Lord's discipline, don't give up when he corrects you. He disciplines, he punishes. Very encouraging. I'm so encouraged right now, Lord. So encouraged. I'm so encouraged by verse 7. As you endure the divine discipline, everybody say endure divine discipline. Let the Lord discipline you. Let the Lord do it. (laughs) And he'll just keep doing it and keep doing it until you learn. Because he's good to us. Because he loves us that much. Say, the Lord is disciplining me because he loves me. And he won't stop disciplining me until I learn. Because he loves me. He's good, isn't he? He's so good to us. It says in verse 8, if God doesn't discipline you, who's not being disciplined by the Lord? Don't raise your hand. (laughs) If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, right? All of us respected our earthly fathers when they disciplined us, right? Yeah. Hebrews just talking to everybody here. That makes sense. Yep. Always respected our discipline. Thank you. Oh, thank you for that discipline. Yep. 
respect you. But since we did, well, since we've become adults and we learned that they were doing it for a good reason, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of our spirits and live forever? Wait a second. So God's got a purpose in getting the junk out of us? God is fashioning. He's purifying. He's testing. And it's because what he's put in you is so big that the baby Christian in you can't handle it. The immature Christian in you cannot handle it, so he's maturing you to be able to handle what he's put in you and called you to do. Many skip that process, right? They run away from home. They never respected their father. We can see it. We can look out there in the Christian world. They never respected their earthly father. They don't respect the father. And they just go out and and say, I'm just going to go do it without any purifying and molding and testing and trying and disciplining. And we end up having bratty children as adults running around. That's not us, is it? We're going to let God do it. Is this okay? Everybody all right? First Peter chapter 2. I read from Peter last week, and this is another verse. I read First Peter chapter 4, and I'm going to read a scripture from First Peter 2. Verse 16 says, For you are free. Everybody say, I'm free. Yet you are God's slaves. I'm free, yet I'm God's slave. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. You are free, but we don't use our freedom to do evil. You who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. Now this is the key. Do you know the Lord allows cruel masters over you on purpose? Because when you have a reasonable master, it doesn't push you whatsoever. You say, I am respectable. I am kind. I am honorable. I do the right thing. But if God allowed a cruel master over you, if he allowed a harsh condition around your life, if he allowed the tough circumstances around you, that's when the real you has to choose right? To come out. The real you is really going to come out then. Because it says, God is pleased when conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Who's been treated unjustly? Who's been abused? Remember this story, and this is such a key. It was one that I never noticed before. Joseph was put in prison by his brothers, This is such a key that God is speaking to His church in this time. You were put in the position that you're in many times because you you were pushed into a place, pushed into a place by those that should have loved you and supported you. And God allowed it. Remember, we've read it many times, Psalm 105. God allowed it. He did it on purpose because it says this, verse 20. Of course you get no credit for being patient if you are beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. 
God allows the unjust treatment on purpose, just so that we will make the choice to, to really be Christ. Come on, the Lord has called you to be an ambassador, to be light, to be salt. And if there is, if you are not in a position where you are pushed to that place where your flesh can't take it anymore and you have to choose to lean on Christ, you haven't been pushed hard enough yet. The Lord will allow it. And we say, oh, look what the devil's doing to me. Yeah, the devil may be doing it. The devil put Jesus on the cross, but it was for God's purpose. Remember, who put Jesus on the cross? Satan did. Satan entered Judas and betrayed Jesus and tricked him, but God already knew what was going to happen beforehand and had a plan through it. Just because the devil has been harassing you and tormenting you and, the, and people around you that you thought should have been loving you are, are, don't seem to be there for you. And all of these circumstances doesn't mean you're not exactly where you're supposed to be. The key with Joseph was that he could not change his circumstances. You can't run from, from Egypt. You can't run. He was stuck, but he could choose to change the atmosphere. He couldn't change the circumstances, but he could change how he would respond to it and not get bitter. Come on, we can't get bitter, church. We can't get bitter by what's been done to us. It's time for that to go. The Lord's going to release that, and I'm going I'm to really close in on that this next week. The Lord's going to get that out of us. But it takes 11 years. Everybody say it takes 11 years to get bitterness out of us. It takes 13 years. It takes a long time to get all the junk out of us. We got to go through it just long enough that we don't care anymore. You just, you, got, you just, you end up, yeah, you just take your hands off the grip. I don't care anymore. That's amazing. That is such an amazing place to be. That sounds so apathetic. I'm not saying your faithfulness. You're not saying I don't care about God. <laughs> because Joseph proves it, right? We looked at those verses last week. Joseph said, I will never, I'm not, you know, when, when he was tempted, when he was tempted, he said, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not giving in. He shows, and we, we can see it again when he's released. He points to God. But Joseph couldn't change, but he could change the atmosphere. We need to say, this isn't the world's turf. This is the Lord's prison. You need to start saying, I might be in a prison, but this is the Lord's prison. This may look like an Egyptian dungeon, but it's God's temple. And it's his temple because I'm here. Come on, it can look like an Egyptian dungeon, but it was the Lord's temple because the Bible says that Joseph was there and the Lord was with Joseph. And if the, if the Lord was with Joseph, then it didn't matter what it looked like around you. It's what was happening inside that was real. The Lord was doing something that he has to do to all of us. He was humbling Joseph. And when he humbles you, it is not because you necessarily had pride. Doesn't need to, you don't need to be prideful to be humbled. Maybe you are. <laughs> I know my places of pride, and I know where the Lord has humbled me. I know he's going to continue. I know he hasn't finished there. He's going to keep humbling us. 
Humility is the pathway to the palace. There is no other way. You have to go lower to go higher. And Joseph was sold into slavery, but then he had to go lower. He had to go as low as you could go to the place of no more Joseph, only Jesus. No more me, only Jesus. My will, my dream, I don't even want the dream anymore, God. I want you so bad. I just want to serve you, but I don't care. I don't care what they did to me. I don't care about my name. I don't care about anything else anymore. I'm not going to deny you. I'll still stay faithful to you, even though it seems like I've been abandoned. I'm going to stay faithful. And that's what the Bible says in James chapter 4, verse 6. It says that God gives grace generously. Come on, I want you to say that out loud. God gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud. This is amazing. See, God loves everyone, but doesn't give everyone grace. The Bible says it. It's not my opinion. He gives grace to the... You can say it out loud. <laughs> That's good. I was hoping everybody would do the same. He gives grace to the humble. Who does God give grace to? Does God give grace to the proud? God does not give grace to the proud. That's the Bible. That's not my opinion. God does not give grace to the proud. Does God love the proud? Of course he does. He died for the proud. Wow. He died for the proud and then gives you grace. It's just sitting there waiting. We humble ourselves and receive it. If you want grace in your life, you have to be humble. But you can't humble yourself. The Lord helps us in that process. You still have to choose. Joseph chose God in that prison. Who's, who's been in your life? Let's just be honest. I'm going to keep my hand raised. You've been in prisons. You've been in low places. And you got bitter, envious, jealous, mad at God. Nobody, just me. I'll keep my hand raised. Just me. So God pushes me lower. You're not low enough. You're not low enough. I'm going to have a few more people say some things to you that are going to hurt so bad that you have no choice. You can't run to anybody. You can't rely on anyone. There is no one and nothing left except for me. And then when you get to that place, the Bible says... There's grace there. Grace starts to fill my heart. Starts to give me strength. Starts to fill me up. And it says in verse 7, so humble yourselves, right? So then we receive it. And I say, okay, Lord. And as soon as, see, he pushes you to the place. He humbles you. And then I humble myself by saying, okay. He humbles you. You say, okay, you're in a humble place. And the Bible says, it's so funny that it mixes this right here. Verse 7 is split. Humble yourself before God. And it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. See, the devil is prideful. 
We don't know exactly how it happened. We just know that he was proud and God struck him down. He, was, he left heaven. God kicked him out of heaven because of his pride. He said, what's the difference between me and you, God? And we can see that through the word. There are many instances. God doesn't like that. <laughs> I, you know, if you know the word, you know the instances. You can look those up. You can ask me about those later. It's not for Sunday morning. But God doesn't like pride. God crushes pride. But if we humble ourselves, I don't believe that this is anything you have to do. You don't need to resist the devil. You humble yourself before God and you're already resisting him. That's the place where the devil has nothing. What's he going to do? What's he got on you? You got nothing. I don't, you can just take it. Take my family. Take my name. Take my coat of many colors. You can take it all. Remember the devil, he stripped Joseph of everything, stripped him of his entire dream and used his brothers to do it. And that's what many times happens. But he'll flee from you. And then the Bible says, verse eight, come close to God and God will come close to you. Isn't that amazing? Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. And it says, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. And, and that's because in our pride, in our pride, it's because we're still trying to, you know, God, and, and it was a God-given dream. This is what's so amazing. God gave me, you go, God, you gave me the dream. And God's like, well, I didn't ask you to try to make it happen though. I just asked you to follow me. Just follow me. Just follow me. And so when we're divided, it's because we're still trying to build our own kingdom. And because of his love, because of his love, he comes up like the bully and kicks our sandcastles down. Whew. Come on, who's had a bully kick your sandcastle down? The metaphor too, who's had a bully kick your life, kick the sandcastle in your life, and God did you a favor. God did you a favor. You were just building in sand. You don't want that anyway. You just didn't know it. And says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. If you want to be lifted up, who wants to be lifted up? Who wants to be taken out of the pit? Everybody, we're all looking forward to that when he takes you out. But you need to let the Lord do it. We don't have time to go too far, but I just want it to, to say this. In Genesis chapter 40, you have to let the Lord do it because Joseph, he's been in prison, he's been in the pit, and it says in verse 8, it says that there were two other men in the prison with him, and, and they said, we had dreams. It says, they replied, we had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. And Joseph says, interpreting dreams is God's business which is proof that Joseph was still God's guy. This is, this is 11 years. We know that because it, it tells us that it's two more years, 13 years total. It's 11 years when he responds. 11 years he's still fending for God. Who has fended for God when, when you, I mean, it would look just like Jesus did. Jesus is on the cross and he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? It wasn't finished. Even the cross itself was not finished until the place where even Jesus cries out, the place where he felt forsaken by God. That's the place. That's the very bottom. 
Jesus had to go to the very, very, very bottom. It wasn't even just the cross. The cross was one thing, but it was the forsaken by God. In that place, then the Lord moved. That was it. The cross was over, wasn't it? And it's the same place here that Joseph, he's, he's forsaken, but he's still God's guy. He's still fending for him, and he, he tells them their dreams. They tell him his dreams. And then it says, he says in verse 14, please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place. I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison, but I did nothing to deserve it. Joseph, unfortunately, when we are at this place, this is the sad, it's so sad that he said this. <laughs> I didn't do anything to deserve this place because it's two more years. Two more years. And I can't prove it, so whenever I can't prove it, I'm going to tell you first. So that you, look at, you can read the Bible, believe the Bible. You don't need to believe me. But I believe it was two more years because he, he still thought this was something that was being done to him. Two more years so that you can, this needs to get completely out of you. He's still fending for himself. He's, he's God's guy. He's been faithful. God's been with him. And, and who's seen God being faithful to you even in all your trials? And you've been faithful to him, but you're still on trial, right? You're still in it, but God's been faithful and you've been faithful to him. But God's not done until you don't say this anymore. Until you just, you just abandoned. Completely abandoned. Who knows the story? It says, verse 23, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. You can't get yourself out. You need to let God finish what he started in you. You need to let him do it. And God is maturing us. The fruits of the Spirit grow out of us because of what God did inside of us. Let me say that again. The fruits of the Spirit grow out of us because of what God did inside of us. We get over what was done to us inside first. You have to get over it inside first because then comes out of us forgiveness. It's an internal work that God's doing. He, God gives us a purpose, but he will not let the purpose blossom until there is nothing left in us. Selfish ambitions, pride, revenge, blame, etc. They all must die in us. When we've lost hope, when we say, this is my fate, I'll just be a believer right here and represent him here. We take the blame off of God. We take the blame off of those who used and abused us, and we're dead. You're ready for glory. This is the way through death. When we get to that place, when we are so broken and so low, this is a great, aren't you guys encouraged, just like he said in Hebrews? Wow. When we get to that place, just like Christ, 
Come on, Jesus is on the cross. I say it almost every week because I'm just overwhelmed by what came out of his mouth. He's being crucified and he said, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Peter said to Jesus, how many times do I need to forgive? He said, 70 times seven. And that's really, that number is really not what he meant. He meant a lot. When you think you've forgiven enough, you need to forgive again. That's what the Lord's doing in us. I want to just, we'll move into next week. The finality, the real maturity that he's looking for in his church is not, I've learned to trust and I've learned to lean upon God. That's what he's doing. That's like the school. But that's what's done internally so that what comes out of you is the love of Jesus. Because the love of Jesus shined when everyone else hated him. In order to have love, you don't, how do you even understand love without hate? How do you understand light without darkness? I'm not trying to be new age and yin, yin and yang, but it ne- there was at the most hatred, Jesus' love was proved the most. So it's kind of like your testing is, it feels like, wow, Lord, what are you doing in me? But it's because he's got such amazing things for you to do, not for yourself, that's the first part, for others. And the only way you'll be able to do what Joseph's about to do, who knows the rest of his story, the only way you can do what he's about to do and what God's going to ask this church to do, what he's asking us to do, is to be broken wide open and all of that's just gone from us. It's all out of us. So that no matter what they say to you, no matter what they do to you, it's I love you, I forgive you, how can I help you? Right, because that's what the church has been doing all along, right? <laughs> Let's stand. God, I thank you and praise you for your grace and your mercy, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that this is a humble church. Lord, I thank you that you have humbled us, Lord, and so then we humble ourselves. You put us in places, Lord, that force us to say, I'm either going to be prideful or I'm going to be humble, Lord. We have been given, Lord, such a great opportunity, Lord. We've been humbled, Lord, because you have great things to do for us, Lord, to do through us, Lord. I thank you, God, for what you've done already. And I thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do, Lord, in us still and then through us, Lord. We just give you glory. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.